0: Y'all, I don't know if you know this, but it's been almost exactly a year since the Ever Given got stuck in the Suez Canal, costing global trade $10 $10 billion per day. There were estimates that we're talking $6.7 million per minute. And now, Evergreen, the company that made that ship, is seemingly celebrating by literally getting another ship stuck in another port. With port officials confirming that the 1,095 foot Everford, which, wow, that name. That's like if I told my wife to call me 20 minute DeFranco, she'd be like, that's a that's a lot of confidence before entry. You wanna maybe change it to SS try my best? Your choice. I don't want you clipping your chin on that bar you said. But uh, the good news here is that the Everford, which was on its way to Norfolk, Virginia, from Baltimore. It ran aground on Sunday, but authorities have said that the ship is not blocking any navigation, nor were there any reports of injuries, pollution, or damage to the vessel. So luckily, the impact has been minimal. That's what she said. Okay, that's my quota for dick jokes. Welcome to the Philip DeFranco show you beautiful bastard. Hit that like button and let's just jump into it. And then a lot of people have been requesting an update on this story. I didn't think I would need to provide one after calling him a cruel abuser, but sure, let's talk about the Kanye West stuff. And I want to preface this by saying I understand why some people see this as drama, why some people see it as like entertainment involves some of the biggest people in the world, but it's it's not entertainment. This is a cruel, manipulative abuser, serial harassing his now ex-wife on a scale we've just never seen before. A man who has time and time again shown that he is completely happy and comfortable with weaponizing his audience against, whether it be his ex-wife or anyone around her to make that situation so toxic. Why would anyone want to go near her? And I saw some people going, hey, but did you see the Pete Davidson text, right? Doesn't that change the situation now? No, are you crazy? Right, the text messages leak. He says, yo, it's skeet. Take a second to calm down. It's 8 a.m. Kim's a great mom. You're so fucking lucky that she's your kid's mom. And adding, I've decided I'm not gonna let you treat us this way anymore and I'm done being quiet. Grow the fuck up. To which Kanye says, oh, you using profanity. Where are you right now? To which Pete Davidson says, in bed with your wife with this photo. And great, I'm just repeating, you know this already. And if not, I'm so sorry we're talking about this. But so many people were like, look at this. Pete Davidson's a scumbag. And I saw that and I was like, but is he? Like if nothing had happened before this and Kanye was like, hey, where are you at? Batman, and he was like in bed with your wife. That would be insane level behavior, but then taking into the full context, where one of the most famous people on the earth has weaponized his audience against you and your girlfriend, who also happens to be this famous person's ex-wife, and he's been harassing you. And even through art, and also just regular ass words saying that he was going to hurt you. This is Kanye stands trying to make a mountain out of a molehill. I'm supposed to feel bad for Kanye West after the guy he's been harassing and threatening for a month kind of said something out of pocket? Go fuck yourself. How dare one of the victims swing back? Not to mention in these messages after his single shot back, after a month of harassment and threats, Pete is also trying to reach out to Kanye and say, hey, I struggle with, with mental health too, but there are options. You can get help. It doesn't have to be like this. And Kanye, that fucking cry bully, he then runs to the internet. And he's like, see how I'm the victim? Like, yo, know, this is why I think it's important that even more people have been speaking up, like Trevor Noah recently. I think he really hit on the note that this is not like, this shouldn't be for everyone's entertainment. This is about harassment and how this is something that can happen to anyone. With warning, like I have also been warning that situations like this can escalate to violence, people getting hurt. What we're seeing though is, one of the most powerful, one of the richest women in the world, unable to get her ex to stop texting her, to stop chasing after her, to stop harassing her. Just think about that for a moment. With Trevor adding that he himself actually grew up in an abusive household and saying that people would question his mother, saying she was overreacting, sort of turn the blame on her and adding. And I'll never forget one day I got a call from my brother saying, hey, mom has just been shot in the head. She's in the hospital now, she's just been shot. Uh, And I'm I'm not saying it to make it about me. I'm just saying. Maybe that's why I look at the story differently, to be honest with you. With Trevor adding, you know, he doesn't think Kanye is necessarily going to do something like this, but people shouldn't be watching this from the sidelines like it's just tabloid fodder and going, oh, it's nothing when you see exact situations like this where this just happens. And it, the only difference is like, they're not famous people. And if you look through the responses to the Trevor Noah pieces where, you know, they're scattered all over social media, you see a number of women going, "I, you know, I, that's true. I've been that woman. But yeah, I don't know what the end of this story is. Uh, Kanye West is a cry bully who, who cries foul anytime anyone and calls him out for his just ridiculous dangerous harassment and behavior. And then are you tired of daylight savings, right? The the spring forward, fall back bullshit. Well, you're not alone. It seems the entire Senate is also feeling very, very sleepy because yesterday they unanimously passed a bill that would stop all this bullshit and make daylight savings time permanent. Yes, the same chamber that can't even agree on everyone getting basic human rights was like, we all agree on this one thing. Ted Cruz and Chuck Schumer giving each other teary-eyed hugs. But. Seriously, let's talk about it, right? So the bill was introduced by Marco Rubio and it was dramatically named the Sunshine Protection Act, which sounds like it's part of our war on darkness and it would take effect in November of 2023 if approved by the House and signed by President Biden. And so if this is passed into law, it would apply to states that currently participate in DST, meaning the people who live in those states, which is most of them, wouldn't have to change their clocks. And that's really notable because in the last four years, 18 states have passed laws or ballot initiatives that would do just that. But the federal law must first be changed in order for those state laws to take effect, right? And as for the reasoning behind Behind this Senate proposal, supporters have noted that there are numerous studies that show spending more hours in daylight saving time reduce the risks of seasonal depression, heart problems, and strokes. With other research showing that the switch would also result in fewer car accidents and nighttime robberies, while also saving energy and benefit retailers by giving consumers more time to spend money. And these arguments also seem to have the backing of the public with a November poll from The Economist slash YouGov showing that nearly two thirds of Americans want to end the twice a year clock change. But turns out this is not as simple of an issue as I thought it was. On the other side of this, some do think that it is a bad idea to make daylight savings time and permanent instead of standard time. With this, including sleep scientists at the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, with some experts arguing that standard time lines up more closely with the sun's progression, arguing that bright mornings help people wake up, while dark nights help trigger sleep. And so they believe that this change will have a negative long-term impact on public health. Others have also disputed the claim that this permanent change to DST would save energy, noting that the last time Congress made the change permanent in 1974 as a way to save fuel during an oil crisis, the Department of Transportation found that the move was actually ineffective at saving fuel, with others noting more recently, studies have been largely inconclusive about whether. Whether or not it actually saves energy, or if it does, it's pretty negligible. With some going even as far to argue this decision could increase gas usage because people will be more likely to stay out and go driving. Also, some of the other arguments against going to DST include that it would unsync clocks from Europe, which uses standard time from October to March, potentially harming trade and travel. They argue that religious rituals that are performed at sunrise would be more difficult or impossible to do before work. Though, to that point, workplaces would likely have to make some kind of religious exemption under law. And then finally, uh, you have this third group of people, the Hangreens of the world who uh, really couldn't Give less of a shit. Tweeting the size of my indifference about whether daylight savings time forever or daylight savings time never is the correct path out of changing my clocks twice a year. But for now, with all that said, we're gonna have to wait to see how the House and Biden feel about this. Of course, I'd love to know your thoughts on it. And for me, I, I think about this on a very micro level. I, don't, I kinda don't care about the macro. I know I should, I don't. I'm a little bit in Hank's camp of, I kinda just don't care as long as I don't have to change, but I, I'm for the, the switch to DST. But from that, I wanna take a second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, Stamps.com Phil. Whether you're in a small office setting out invoices or an online seller shipping orders, or even a giant warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com is great for any Size business. We're all busy enough as it is, and personally, I love how convenient and cost-effective this is for me and my business. I can even get all the mailing and shipping done without even leaving my house. For more than 20 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over a million businesses. You can print official US postage from your computer 24 seven, no special supplies or equipment needed. And with Stamps.com slash you get exclusive discounts and post office rates, like 40% off USPS and 76% UPS rates. Stamps.com saves me time and money, bring me up to produce the show, work on the new studio, create new awesome stuff to release with beautiful bastards. So yeah, save yourself time and money by going to stamps.com slash fill to get a four week trial and free postage, and a digital scale. There's no risk, no long-term commitments, no contracts, and never go to the post office again. That's stamps.com slash fill. And then in everyone's favorite kind of news, it's not, I'm saying that sarcastically, but it's gonna constantly be in the news. Let's talk about abortion. A lot has been happening in the United States on the state government levels, but this actually involves a corporation because the news just came out that Citigroup is going to start covering travel costs for employees seeking out-of-state abortion. Saying in a filing for its April 26th shareholders meeting, in response changes in reproductive healthcare laws in certain states in the U.S. Beginning in 2022, we provide travel benefits to facilitate access to adequate resources. And a person familiar with the matter telling Reuters that it will not just pay for transportation, but also lodging expenses as well. Which one, very interested to see what the public reaction to this is. And with that, of course, I pass the question off to you. But also two, will we see more companies follow in these footsteps? Because Citibank making this announcement, it's not coming out of nowhere. It's coming after several states moved to restrict abortion, including Texas, which banned the procedure after six weeks. And as we've talked about, that has actually not stopped stopped abortions as much as what previously was expected because a lot of women are now traveling out of state to obtain theirs. Though, of course, that's not an option for everyone because not everyone can afford that. That's why there's the argument of, you can try and ban abortions, but really you're only banning abortions to people that can't afford the resources. But hey, like I said, I'd love to know your thoughts on Citigroup making this move. And then, of course, we Americans have been fighting over social policy like Texas's abortion ban or Florida's don't say gay bill. But now we've got some absolutely stunning news out of Guatemala where activists just helped block what would have been one of the harshest bills on abortion, LGBTQ rights and sex Ed in the Western Hemisphere. So the country's legislature actually passed this law on Tuesday of last week, ironically, on International Women's Day. And it would have banned same-sex marriage, barred schools from discussing LGBTQ issues with children and prohibited teaching students about sexual diversity or that gay or lesbian sex is quote, normal. But one of the biggest things is it would have punished women who get abortions to up to 10 years in jail with even harsher penalties for doctors and others who assist the procedure. Though before you're completely relieved, women already face up to three years for obtaining abortions in Guatemala, except when their life's at risk and same-sex marriage isn't allowed anyway. But in addition to being more strict in many ways, the bill also carried symbolic weight, especially for the president's conservative religious base. With some lawmakers there saying that the bill was necessary because quote, minority groups in society propose ways of thinking and practices that are incongruous with Christian morality. And the president, Alejandro Giamatti, proclaiming that Guatemala is the pro-life capital of Latin America. But then, I don't know how he didn't suffer from whiplash, just a day later, he drastically pivoted, saying that the law suffered from technical deficiencies and saying that it violates the constitution of the Republic. With him then threatening to outright veto the bill, and yesterday Congress shelved it indefinitely. And so that has raised the question of, well, why did he backpedal on this? Well, some speculate that demonstrations from women, LGBTQ activists, and university students outside Congress, as well as political pressure, even from the United States, put his feet on fire. Right? The US government specifically expressed serious concerns about the legislation and channel conversations with the Guatemalan government, according to two American officials speaking to the New York Times. Plus, this comes at a precarious moment where the president, who is deeply unpopular and has been reeling from scandal after scandal, like last year when prosecutors began investigating allegations that he accepted bribes from Russian businessmen in exchange for access to a key port. With his attorney general also controversially detaining former prosecutors and targeting a judge handling sensitive corruption cases. And although Biden came to the Oval Office saying he was determined to root out corruption in Central America, that promise has conflicted with his desire to work with Guatemala on policing Northward migration. But ultimately, as far as where we are now, the new law is smothered, supporters are of course disappointed, those against it are hailing this as a victory. But given the drastic 180 here, I would say uh, keep your eyes on this. This might not be an it's over, it might just be an it's over for now. And then finally today, that brings us to what is going on in Ukraine. Right, yesterday we discussed that Russia and Ukraine were in the middle of ongoing peace talks and that still seems to be the case. With there being seemingly reliable rumors that a proposed deal from Russia would include a Russian ceasefire and withdrawals. Ukraine agreeing to be neutral in a model similar to what Sweden and Austria have alongside refusing to join NATO. No foreign bases in Ukraine. And Russians get legal status in Ukraine, likely similar to what they already have in Belarus. And while this is seen as progress, it likely will not go too far. Ukraine has been adamant that it wants the Donbass and Crimea back. So it's not surprising that we're also now seeing reports that Zelensky's office isn't thrilled with a deal, rejecting parts of it flat out. And so seemingly with negotiations stalling, it looks like Ukraine is making some moves with reports showing that in many theaters across the country, they've gone on the offensive. And Zelensky himself has also been on an offensive of sorts. Where he's been giving speeches to governments around the world through streams to try and put pressure on getting more help. And today, Zelensky spoke to the US Congress. During his address, he showed a montage of Russian attacks against civilian buildings and how much Ukrainian cities have changed amid the fighting. And the video also calling for the closure of Ukrainian skies with Zelensky adding. Today, it's not enough to be the leader of the today it takes to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Now, will he get a no-fly zone? More than likely not. We've talked about this in the past, but a no-fly zone would mean US missiles and planes shooting down Russian ones. It is a major escalation that the US does not want. However, Zelensky did give Congress an out saying, if this is too much to ask, we offer an alternative. You know what kind of defense systems we need. The missile defense systems, especially those with more range than the already provided Stinger missiles, would be a massive deal for Ukraine because they can be used to bring down Russian cruise missiles. So to that end, the Biden administration is looking to send another billion dollars aid to Ukraine alongside possibly sending them US-made drones. And that could be a two birds, one stone kind of situation. They're not fighter jets, which Ukraine has repeatedly asked for, but they do fill a similar role in hitting ground targets. And on top of that, they'll allow Ukraine to fly more missions, Because right? there's an ongoing debate on how effective sending jet fighters to Ukraine would actually be. On one hand, more fighter planes in reserve mean they can sustain more losses and thus may be willing to fly more missions per day. But on the other hand, Ukraine's limited missions are already seen as highly effective. And even if it does add more planes, it doesn't mean they can sustain losing pilots. So it's argued that using drones gives Ukraine and ability to strike positions almost as strongly as if a jet did the attack, while also giving them a much wider pool of pilots. you don't just have to limit your training to people that have to be in the jet. And so far, Ukraine has already made great use of what drones it currently has, but a sudden influx of American-made ones could be a deciding factor in a war like this. And it could also be an indicator that in modern warfare, huge tanks and expensive planes are just not cost-effective when a drone can blow stuff up all the same. But ultimately, that is where that story and today's show ends. As always, thank you for watching, liking, subscribing, subscribe. being a part of these daily dives into the news. My name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.